0: Calling all useful idiots. Uh, welcome to the show. We are about to start. Just make sure that uh, we're giving people some time to come in. Tweet this out. Uh, you know, Facebook it out. FaceTime it out. You can just jump on FaceTime. Give your friend a FaceTime call. Um, and we're just waiting for more people to come in. Then we'll get your, take your questions um we already have some callers so aaron what do you say should we just start should we just get started let's do it let's do it okay let's start with no war chris
1: hey guys good morning um good morning um i just had a fun little one did you guys catch that master class uh george w bush no i
0: saw it's happening but i didn't watch it did you actually watch it
1: yeah, well, I didn't watch the master class, but I watched the pre- the the uh, ad video for it, the two-minute little clip that that master class released. And uh, my favorite part, I think—I don't know if Aaron saw it. Um, my favorite part was definitely when when George W. Bush was like, "When I was speaking to audiences, I never wanted them to think I was smarter than them." <laughs> nobody ever thought that about George Bush, but you should check it out. Katie Aaron as well. Everybody else should check that out. That's all I had today. Quick and easy.
0: Great. Well, thank you. Yeah. We'll check it out.
1: It's two minutes, two minutes, best two minutes of your life. I mean, who
2: thought that was, who thought that was a good idea? Right. (laughs) Who thought that, like what's the market for that? For George W. Bush's leadership tips. (laughs) I don't know.
0: Maybe parody. <laughs> like our show.
1: Somebody yeah, so master class if... said that a bunch of people resigned over it and wouldn't work on that project. Really? But, really. Yeah, I saw something like that online. Really? Wow. Okay.
0: Well guys, if you quit if you quit master class over that and you want to come talk about it on useful idiots, we'd love to have you on as a guest.
1: I'm not sure why it took till George W. Bush when they all had done one for Billy and Hillary and condy and uh and uh several other people that are very terrible as well but
0: well maybe they thought what maybe what this master class reveals is that bush is actually very smart and um, <laughs> they're afraid that word will get out that he's smart and that'll undermine his agenda
1: <laughs> maybe that's it
0: yeah just an idea yeah
1: all right thanks guys all
0: right thank you all right andrew Morning. Morning.
3: Uh, Hey, I just had one quick comment on the FBI and then a question or request, I guess. So the comment on the FBI, they responded. Did you see they responded to what Mark Zuckerberg said on Joe Rogan about how they came to Facebook and warned them about disinformation? I didn't see that. No, I didn't see what they said. So, you know, it's basically not anything interesting, but it's just the standard. Like they're, you know, reading the rule book out in public saying, hey, You know, the FBI, we're the FBI. We can't tell or ask any company to ban any kind of story or censor anything. So they're basically saying, like, hey, we can't do that. We we, we just came and gave a general warning is kind of their point that, like, they walked up to Facebook and we can assume Twitter and Google, whoever else, and just kind of wandered into wherever, whoever's office and said, hey you know how back in 2016 Russia did this disinformation and then we called you in front of the Senate and things got really bad. Well, it's, it's going to happen again. We have evidence to believe. So just be on the lookout and then just patted them on the back and walked out. That's kind of the story. And so Facebook, you know, is saying that they, they weren't told specifically about this story to ban Hunter Biden story. It's just this general warning. But then of course you have the outside game with quote unquote retired officials the 50 officials, I think David Sachs brought this up, writing the letter, giving this signal to all these companies, basically shooting a flare in the sky to say, this is the thing we were talking about. This is the thing you should ban. It's just, it's, it's hilarious because the FBI is saying, well, we can't violate the law, but then they just skirt it. They completely circumvent it through means that, I don't know what you would call that exactly.
2: Subterfuge, maybe?
0: FBIing, maybe?
2: Yeah. And this is the second time really the FBI did this specifically about like uh, alleged Russian disinformation, because the first time with Facebook back in 2016, you know, after the election, they were, you know, they got some, you know, there was this talk that Russia had launched this influence campaign. So Facebook did a review and they, you know, looked at these troll farm ads, right, that supposedly swung the election. Uh, against Hillary, right? Like that was a Democratic Party narrative. And they did a review and they came, their initial conclusion was that this was, you know, this Russian troll farm was just standard commercial clickbait, just like putting up some dumb memes and posts and hoping that it gets an audience and then um, using that to gain followers and then using your follower count to actually sell ads to other vendors, right? You know, on Facebook and Instagram and and Twitter. Um, That was Facebook's initial conclusion. But then, and this was reported in the Washington Post, basically Democratic operatives with the Hillary and Obama camps came up with this theory that actually, no, this was really part of a Kremlin operation. And Senator Mark Warner, Warner, who's the head of the Senate Intelligence Committee, he personally flew out to Facebook and basically told them that this actually is what happened. This was a Kremlin-linked operation trying to sow chaos. And that's when Facebook kind of caved and started repeating that. And when Mark Zuckerberg came to Congress and, like, Senators, like, blew up, like, posters of, like, some of the Russian memes, like, Buff Bernie and whatever else. And they were, like, they were on these big placards. Like, it, it's, it's really, you should look it up. Really Satan big Hillary placards. was another? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And as if this was, like, the biggest, this, like, it was, like, another nine eleven. That's the way it was treated. And Mark Zuckerberg was, like, I'm so <laughs> sorry. And really, the reason Facebook caved is because they were under pressure. Like, they were facing threats that they were going to get broken up. It was around that time when there was this talk of breaking up Facebook. And so Facebook, rather than just saying, like, this is, this is, like, these are just dumb memes, they totally caved, like, yes, we're so sorry, uh, we'll never, it'll never happen again. They completely capitulated, and this is them doing it again.
3: And now that was just over memes. So think of how much more scared they were when it was like, oh, this is Hunter Biden. This is Biden. This is directly connected to the Democratic Party. It's not just dumb, like, memes. They must have been like, wow, the pressure is really going to come this time. Anyway, my second thing, really quickly, question slash request. I heard the other day someone asked you about the Libertarian Party and having Dave Smith uh, in a conversation or something along those lines. Um, Just to clarify, his party – or his section of the Libertarian Party, the Mises Caucus, is the one that took over the party, like completely took over the Libertarian Party. So it's a very good anti-war geo uh, policy that the Libertarian Party has right now. And I was just going to second that request to talk to Dave Smith in some kind of form. And then there's one other person that I would request that you consider talking to, if you have any love for me in my repeated calls in, is uh, Reed Coverdale, the naturalist capitalist. I've spoken to him before, and he absolutely is a fan of your work, and already has agreed that he would like to speak with you, Aaron or Katie, who I, I'm sure he would do whatever format uh, on whoever show. Just um, I, the reason I'm asking this is because I, I'm of the left, but I really feel that I've said this a lot that we need anti-partisan unity on certain issues that you know we can find outside the establishment because there's too few of us. So I just uh, would like to. British and what's
2: Democrats. his deal? Like, what's
3: his what's his deal? Well, The Naturalist Capitalist is kind of an up-and-comer channel that started in COVID, uh, got big in the COVID era, being anti-lockdown. But he's basically followed Scott Horton and Dave Smith. And um, he's really good on the foreign policy. He's just kind of an up-and-coming influence in the libertarian media. And then, obviously, Dave Smith, you know him. And he's, you know, there's a slight to strong possibility that he'll run for president. Um, so I just think building this, some kind of links would be good. And uh, I know the naturalist capitalist might be not so much up your alley, but I just, you know, in the spirit of not making it overtly political, like Dave Smith is running for president. So we're going to interview him. Like there's other people in the libertarian ecosystem that are just as good. And he's part of that Myces caucus as well. He's involved with the libertarian party of New Hampshire. In fact, um, many of the, Sweets that you see, I believe might have something to do
2: with this man. Uh Reed Coverdale, the well, naturalist capitalist. I'll say this. I'm a sucker for rhymes. So if <laughs> rhyme their moniker out, like the naturalist capital, the naturalist capitalist. That's 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 the key to my heart. I don't know about you, Katie. The rhymes. Uh, I'll are, take uh, that as a yes from Katie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, Andrew, thanks for the, Andrew, thanks for the call. Thanks for the call. Okay. Fern.
4: Hello. Good morning. Hey, uh, yeah, just question for you, Aaron. Um, Maybe a little wonky with the Russiagate stuff, but I ran into a leaked audio from Ed Batowski and Cy Hirsch. I don't know if you've heard it. It's like a 20-minute long video. And they talk about a couple of things and one of them is around Russiagate and the DNC hack and stuff like that. And in there, Cy Hirsch starts talking and he, he mentions that the Steele, like that, the former MI6 guys that they got, that the DNC hired, Steele and Simpson, I'm not sure who Simpson is, they gave that contact to the DNC, and then the DNC developed that contact and hired them to get the dossier. Is that something you've seen or you know about? Uh, well, so Glenn and the, the is the were Rubio, McCain, and Bush is what Cy Hirsch said. Rubio, McCain, Bush. Gave the context to.
2: Okay, so a uh, Glenn Simpson is the head of Fusion GPS, and he is that's the firm that subcontracted Christopher Steele. But I missed. But I missed the part of question so who gave what? What? Like so I
4: mentioned that Rubio, McCain, and Bush mm-hmm. found those and my so found Glenn Simpson and Steele and gave the contact to the DNC to Hillary.
2: Hillary. Well, I don't know about that. I. Look, Fusion GPS did work for the uh, Republicans uh, during the primary in uh, trying to come up with dirt on Trump. And uh, but after Trump uh, won, then that contract ended and then Fusion GPS uh, went over to the Democratic side and they hired hired Christopher Steele. Uh, In terms of whether, I mean, how they came across Steele, I, I haven't heard that before that it came via... Uh, Rubio and them, but uh, who knows? I mean, look, at the time all these people hated Trump, you know, because he, he embarrassed them. He embarrassed the Bush right. dynasty. He embarrassed the Cheneys. So, who knows? It's it's possible.
4: No, yeah, I just ran into that leaked audio. I put the, like, if anyone wants to listen to it, they could just copy the last bit of that, put it on YouTube on that comment well, section. Well, no, I, I will
2: say this. So, basically, you know, Sy uh, Hersh was recorded by this, by Ed Butowski, uh, who is a um, entrepreneur who claimed to have some uh, knowledge of, that the DNC email uh, hack was actually a leak from the inside, and but Hirsch has said though that he was basically just embellishing what he knew to try to get information from Butowski and Butowski, and he didn't know, he didn't obviously know he was being secretly recorded, and Butowski put out that recording without Hirsch's permission. So you have to so whatever he says in that call, you have to take it with a grain of salt because. Um, they they were just chatting and Hersh just said he was he was embellishing because he wanted to see if this guy Butaski actually had anything.
4: Right. No. Yeah. The only thing so, that he, so. stuck up to me was yeah. that the uh, Rubio McCain Bush and Steele or whatever. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. I can't wait for the book. Um, waiting for it. <laughs>
2: oh well, thanks. thank you for yes. the answer. Thank you. Okay, uh, Dan.
3: Uh hello. Uh can you hear me?
2: Yes. Hello? I can hear you. Yes, we can hear you. You, you can. Okay, sorry. The phone is a little slow. Um so I was looking at the Julian Assange situation last night and it just looked like um The Prime Minister of Australia, who campaigned on intervening in the expedition. Sorry? Sorry, Dan. I have a hard time hearing you. Say it again. Is it? All right. We're going to move on. Dave, you're up. Hello, Dave. Hey,
5: Aaron. How's it going?
2: Good, good. How are you?
5: Sorry. Doing well. So, uh, fan your work, and uh, I follow a lot of the stuff that you do, kind of came across you with the OPCW reporting and all that. But I wanted to ask you a question and uh, potentially challenge you on one position that you have that I really have trouble um, understanding, and that is your characterization of the 2014 Ukrainian revolution as a U.S. coup. And, um, well, I understand...
2: U.S.-backed US backed coup. U.S.-backed coup. Okay. Not US. a U.S. U.S.-backed okay. coup, yes.
5: Yeah. Okay. And I'm wondering if you could... I understand that there's a, a leaked phone call that you cite um, as your evidence for this, um, but I'm just wondering if there's any other part of it that leads you to
2: taking that position other than the phone call? Sure. So you have, uh, in the fall of 2013... Uh, a crisis breakout in Ukraine. Uh, Yanukovych, the president, is in talks with the European Union about forming a trade deal, and uh, at the at, and suddenly he backs out, or he doesn't back out. He says, "I don't want to sign the deal that I've been given because he reads the fine print, and he basically would have to agree to massive cuts." to people's pensions, to their uh, energy subsidies. And he knows that if he signs this, if he uh, accepts the austerity that the EU is demanding of him, it's political suicide. He's going to basically um, abandon the people who elected him. So he pulls out, He, but he doesn't want to end the deal. He still wants to work out an agreement with the European Union. He just wants to renegotiate it. And in the meantime, Russia comes along and offers him some more favorable terms. Uh, and, he's, and he moves to sign that with Russia because Russia is offering him some energy subsidies especially that will make his political life easier. And in that context, some protests break out from people who, you know, want to sign a deal with the EU. They really want to be a part of um, the European Union. And, and that's called the Maidan Square protests, right? And those are legitimate protests. They're angry about the, the delay of the EU deal. And they're also angry about corruption because Yanukovych, like pretty much any Ukrainian leader, was corrupt. Right. And the U.S. sees that as an opportunity to achieve a long goal of, base, of of bringing Ukraine into the Western orbit. And I've written about you know the uh, the uh, internal documents from the U.S. talking about Ukraine being a prize. And in fact, that was articulated by Carl Gershman, who was the then head of the National Endowment for Democracy, who wrote shortly before Maidan that Ukraine is the biggest prize in the U.S. struggle with Russia. And that if the U.S. can bring Ukraine into its orbit, then uh, that could even possibly lead to regime change in Russia and Vladimir Putin being overthrown. So the well, there's US no disputing att- that. There's no disputing okay, that. Yeah. that, that so the goal. US, U.S. exploits the opportunity of the Maidan. They've meanwhile poured a lot of money into civil society in Ukraine, which, which in real life means supporting people that can be used to uh, foment unrest and, and undermine the government. That they supporting want. in what way? When you say supporting, they, they've you know uh, like like look up Victoria Newland. She's bragged about the U.S. spending billions of dollars in Ukraine since the fall of the Soviet Union, and those have gone to people who support the U.S.-led agenda. So the pieces are in place uh, to have a um, a mass uh, protest uh, that can uh, possibly lead to the overthrow of the government. At a certain point, though, those protests dissipate. People actually uh leave and what's left behind are hardcore fascists uh who are talking about things like beyond corruption in the eu they're talking about basically banning the russian language and uh, asserting this uh, this this conception of you of, of ukrainian nationalism that they have and and you know john mccain and uh chris murphy and victoria newland are going over there they're voicing support for those protests they're appearing with some of these far-right leaders like there's a picture of John McCain with a founder of a basically a, a Nazi party, uh, Chris Murphy, as well, and the U.S. Behind, and the U.S. behind. Hold on a second. And the U.S. behind the scenes is uh, basically calling off. Ta- is basically telling the EU not to not to renegotiate with Yanukovych, who desperately wants a deal, and finally to resolve the standoff when Maidan gets very violent. There is an agreement reached between Yanukovych and the opposition to have new elections. And a compromised government, and instead of that agreement being implemented, uh Yanukovych faces uh violent threats at, from these far right fascists, and in that context, when there's violence happening, he flees, and the u s completely backs his his ouster they don't say, "Wait a second, we have this agreement. we need to have a, a new elections and a compromise government they They welcome the uh, coup that happened, so that plus the Victoria newland call uh, I think. You can say that this was a U.S.-backed coup, that they supported this. And, you know, there are other things that happened, for example, the Maidan massacre, where a bunch of people were killed. I think the snipers were the Maidan fascists themselves, but it was blamed on the Ukrainian government. And that, to me, you know, I don't have any proof, but I wouldn't be surprised if years from now we find out the U.S. was involved in that.
5: Do you have any proof or is there any evidence of U.S. directly military aiding these you know, what you're characterizing as right-wing fascists that were fighting?
2: Uh, I don't have that proof, no. But I do know that basically these people were, you know, they were operating out of... Uh, one group was operating <clears> essentially <throat> out, of, out of the Canadian embassy, and they were obviously backed by the U.S. and their allies. I mean, this was, you know, this is who John McCain and Chris Murphy were cheering on. And we also know that shortly after the coup of... Backed in rhetoric. Not not funding, but, but rhetoric. Back well. Look look, no, millions of dollars went to groups that were involved in the coup. That's just true um, and they and the u s as it always does, used cutouts to help fund them. So for example, if you look up Piero Midiar, the uh, billionaire oligarch, his foundations helped support uh groups that were involved in the coup, which is the u s playbook is that y- you use like you know outside uh money sources to help fund the movements that you want to to foment unrest and also shortly after the coup. John Brennan, the head of the CIA, came and visited Ukraine and met with uh, the new government, which to me is, that to me was a sign that the U.S. also was involved. And again, all this is like circumstantial. And the problem with the U.S. is we don't find out 50 years later. um, We don't find out until 50 years later what the U.S. was actually doing. But I just, you know, based on who the U.S. backed, how they greeted the ouster of Yanukovych, who was ousted, I mean, he was the democratically elected president, whatever you think about him, and they welcome him being overthrown. So that's why I think it's fair to call it a U.S. back coup.
5: So I think it it would be naive to pretend like there's no way that the U.S. was doing things behind the scenes that, like you said, in 50 years we'll be privy to, that if we had known that definitively now might change the way we see things. Obviously that's true given the history. That's something we would expect. But then when I go through what you've said to me, it's like we begin by saying that the Ukraine, that the U.S. and Western Europe would really like to have bring Ukraine into their sphere of influence. And like that's obviously true. At the same time, Russia would really like to keep Ukraine in their sphere of influence. It's like, OK, that's true. But the idea that, you know, this is something that the Ukrainian people, the people who live in Ukraine are united on or feel passionately one way or the other okay, this is a decision that I've they never, have to make. I've never said, no, I'm, I'm not I'm saying ne- you did. I'm no, no, no,
2: I've never said that all Ukrainians uh, backed Yanukovych and all Ukrainians. No, and I, no, I agree. To, what I said, actually, is that the country was split down the middle, and that's what polls up the show. And I've written about this, that the, the even support for the Maidan protest was actually pretty much 50-50. Uh, it, was, yes. okay. it, it was divided. And, and the U.S. always does this, where they find fault lines that they exploit. Okay, well, respectfully, I'll
5: let you make your point. I'd like to finish. Okay, sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. When I look at the Euromaidan revolution, it's like, first off, I I would catch that you always use the word coup, not revolution. But then when I look at the timeline of things that happened with the, you know, with what you say, the deal that was meant to go through, but didn't, that was popularly supported. And then the students that were attacked by the police in the park, which actually led to this becoming such front page news and kind of was the spark on the tinder that lit the revolution but what i see is you know empirical data videos and all this stuff that shows millions of people in the street and so when i see those millions of people in the street like you say that seems to point to the fact that this is something that actually is popular amongst the people and then it gets to a question of coup this diagnosis of calling it a coup versus a revolution you know, when you call it a U.S.-backed coup, you could also call it a, a revolution of the people because the people did rise up. You also made a claim that I don't by think the time no. Yanukovych... I don't, I don't,
2: yeah, I don't think you he heard what I said. By the time he was overthrown, those crowds had dissipated. And I've oh, written about To what that... extent?
5: Because well, I, listen, I don't know that that's so, true.
2: So you can, look up, uh, you, you can look up the articles I've written. They're on Substack. They're free. And I cite uh, the Washington Post and um, other sources Which talk about the and this is and go back and look at the contemporaneous reporting. By the time Yanukovych was was overthrown, the crowds were gone, and all that was left, pretty much, were the hardcore fascists. And that's why. And there's you know there's recently why were the crowds gone? Was it because of the
5: shooting that had happened? Was it was it the violence that was causing people to want to not be a part of that?
2: Well, no. It was partly it was the violence, but also people were people were not on board with these hard right with these hardcore fascists that were emerging as the leaders of the movement. People weren't comfortable with that. What about the polling data that indicates that the
5: vast majority of people wanted Yanukovych to step down? I mean, the fact that they're not fighting with guns against his armed goons, I don't know that that's sufficient evidence. First of all,
2: if you look at the polls at the time, and again, I've written about this on Substack recently, and I cite the polls, there was not even a majority public support at the time for the Maidan protests. And still, and this was in the Washington Post, the most popular political figure in the country at the time was Yanukovych. So this idea that there was this mass revolution it conflates the initial weeks, which were again, as I said earlier, those were legitimate protests. People were wanted uh, closer ties with the with the EU, and they were protesting corruption as well. And I think those the numbers
5: speak for themselves in terms of the people on the streets, and I and I don't think it's a very strong argument to make. And that what you're missing, what you're missing,
2: what what you're missing is wh- okay. What you're missing is that those were the initial weeks, and those dissipated yes. as time and went I, on. What I'm and what was you, left. What was left, what was left were fascists. And you but it's not, a poll- a, what you're making look, is a weak and looking, argument. Looking, and okay, looking, go ahead, okay, finish. And you can, look at the, you can look at the polls at the time, which completely track with that. Yes, but so what have. I'm
5: saying to you is that it's a weak argument to say, after the fact that we know that Yanukovych had his soldiers fire among protesters, it's like if a dictator uses his soldiers to shoot at a crowd and the crowd dissipates, it's not really a strong argument to then come out. And, and this say, is where, oh, look, the crowd's this, gone and this, it's only people no, with guns and no, left.
2: No. And, and this is where you also need to look up the work of a uh, University of Ottawa professor who is Ukrainian, not a big fan of the Russian government, uh, named Ivan Kachinowski. Uh, and I link to him in most of my articles. Look up his work on the Maidan massacre. And he proves, I think, just overwhelmingly that the snipers were on the uh, on side and that these were not uh, Ukrainian forces that fired on these protesters. Uh, well, previously, he's done them- you said you had no evidence of that stance. No, but you- that, no, no, I didn't say that. I said I have no. You asked me about military aid to these protests. I'm talking about who killed the people. Yes. No, earlier and you said up,
5: that you, up, you suspected it would be Euromaidan protesters, but you didn't have evidence. But now you're saying that there may be something I can look at which would provide the evidence.
2: Yes. yes. I'm going to post his name right now in the sure, chat and go look him up and look at what he did and note how no one's been prosecuted inside Ukraine for the Maidan massacres. No one's been convicted. And ask why that is when you have a government that's actually led by the people on the pro Maidan side. Um, so Listen. We. This is. Uh, I'll have
5: to actually, read that. I'll, I'll, I, there's no way we yeah. can continue this without me, you
2: know, reading up on yes. that. and I will look and, up, I'd like... and look up the articles I published basically uh, over the last six months on, on this right. topic, and they get back to me. Okay, thanks for the call. All right, Ramona.
6: Hello.
2: Hello. Hi, there. Hi. Hi.
7: Okay. Brady. What's up, my dudes? <laughs> I heard earlier you guys were talking about the connection between the Clintons and the Bush family. I think I could be wrong about that, but it reminded me of this amazing TikTok I saw by Whitney Webb the other day that ties the Iran Contra scandal together with the Clintons and the Bush family through a company called Geo Militech that was actually involved with um, Ghislaine Maxwell's father. And the the Iran-Contra plans were centered around Jeffrey Epstein during the Clinton administration. And it was just so interesting. Uh, I dropped a link to the uh, TikTok in the comments for you guys. And I have a really interesting criticism of the entire student debt scandal if you guys want to hear that had an interesting story happen um uh this week i was in walmart trying to make a claim at walmart and i finally made my way to the final boss of walmart managers and he came over and was giving me a really rough time about like getting the claim made and i was like look man i got all this stuff on recording i got everything recorded he's like you can't record in walmart and I'm like, I'm pretty sure you can record in Walmart. And he says, I have a degree in criminal uh, like criminal law, and I know what I'm talking about. Blah blah blah. I'm like, well, I'm a freelancer who dropped out of college, and I make fifty dollars an hour as a musician and a hundred dollars an hour as a gardener. So <laughs> you might want to learn how to play guitar. <laughs> and it felt really good to say that because you know I dropped out of community college um, two years into it, you know, two semesters in, and I realized I was wasting my time, my money and um went on to just kind of learn to do things myself and one of the not this is um a little bit of paidea uh for us on the left to kind of criticize this situation because we want we realize that this is a scandal but we also realize that education i think needs to be completely restructured um at the same time as we restructure these loans and we need to restructure a lot of things so that this doesn't happen again Because I understand the criticism of the right when they say, hey, my mortgage identifies as a student loan. You know, I can I can I can understand that criticism. And I think we need to at the same time as we make sure these loans are forgiven, uh, make sure the right people are forgiving these loans. You know, uh, I'd I'd like to see the largest employers in America like Amazon, Walmart and universities like education, uh, schools they're some of the largest employers in the country and i'd like to see them justify what they're charging us for you know because they're giving they're giving degrees out to anyone these days i don't know if y'all have noticed um but and a lot of the working class left for decades have endured um lack of debate for someone saying oh well where's your degree You know what I mean? It's been like, we, we've heard for years, like, oh, you're worthless if you don't have a degree. Well, now they're handing them out to anyone, you know, and I'd like to see education completely restructured to the age of information. Um, at the same time as we forgive these loans. What do you guys think?
2: Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I I agree. It's, it's, um, I look coming from Canada where, uh, tuition is relatively so much cheaper than the U S and just having a lot of friends who went to, you know, like uh, schools that like where where we all got the same degree, like a, you know, like a bachelor of arts, whatever. And then just but the debt, it's an insane system and it needs to be reformed. And obviously just selective cancellation is it's, it's not, it's nowhere uh, near a uh, solution. And yeah, we do need to rethink the, the value of an education, especially, when it's not free. I mean, I think it should be free, but
7: yeah, as long as it's not basically free very easily. Um, it's being inflated like healthcare with insurance. And I would refer you guys to the story of Aaron Swartz. Are y'all familiar with Aaron Swartz? This guy tried to hack MIT and make all of the scholarly MIT articles available publicly online for free. And he got caught and unfortunately committed suicide right before his court date. But that's not all he did. He also invented RSS, Wikipedia, Reddit. Mm-hmm. This guy yeah. He almost single-handedly got Elizabeth Warren elected. And I think we could all learn a big lesson from Aaron Swartz in regards to reformatting education.
2: I hear that. He really is a, uh, is a hero. And it's so sad
7: yeah, that he took weird- his
2: life. That's a sad story.
7: I'm going to drop a link to his documentary in the comments so anyone who's not familiar can check him out. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Okay. I I was on mute. Sorry, everyone. I was on mute for like the last couple calls, saying great stuff. All right. Uh, Brent. Hello? Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah.
8: So I have a question about useful idiots. So the premise of your show is you criticize the media. And they're commentators on what they say, like they you call out their corruption and all that kind of stuff, right? So, like if NBC, if um, or CNN or Fox News, they say something and it's, it's and you know that they're be, they're corrupt or they're being bought or they're saying a lie, you call them out on on their lies, right? Is that basically the premise of your show? Do you
0: watch the show. I'm just curious. Do you watch the show.
8: I watched uh, one of the i watched uh like a part of a show but I, but I probably should watch a full show so is that basically the uh, the premise of your show or i mean it's uh media critique is part oh. of the
0: premise hello hello yeah media critique is part of the premise yeah me? yeah can you hear me oh.
8: Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. So um that that's I went to my next question. So Aaron has been getting a lot of criticism from certain YouTube people regarding his association. Like when he goes on certain shows, he's getting criticized basically being guilt by association. I feel that's kind of unfair. But um after he like after thinking about it, it makes me wonder like if Aaron like puts himself out there criticizing other um like media people, is he opening himself up for criticism for his associations for with like Jimmy Dore, who I actually agree with, or like people like Jackson Hinkle, is he, is he opening himself up for uh, criticism from other YouTubers due to his, um, his role on useful idiots? Because as a journalist, I could totally understand why um he, you should not be asked for your opinion because you're supposed to be objective about facts. So it'd be totally unfair to ask for his opinions about other people. But when on his role as on useful idiots, does he open himself up for criticism?
0: Well, I'll let Aaron say that. I think you're conflating a bunch of different things, which is like you're you're throwing a lot of different questions in there. But Aaron, which I can respond to. But Aaron, do you want to go first? So I'm not speaking for you.
2: So the question is: Am I compromised because of my association with Kitty Helper? <laughs> yeah,
8: yeah, no, not compromised, but kind of like um, you're you're so but like you, you're 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 open up for criticism for your opinions, which aren't compromised, but kind of like when you uh, like you go on Jimmy Door and you and and stuff like that. Like, are you uh, do you feel like you're open to criticism for the people you associate with now that you're your role on useful idiots. That's just my question.
2: I don't think so. But, you know, I mean, look, no one's above criticism. And so uh, um, I don't... I mean, look, on the show, on useful idiots, we're making fun of people's opinions. We're not making fun of them because who they associate with. We're just making fun of them because of their corruption and, um, and, uh, you know, their undisclosed uh, interests. Like today, we made fun of a... um, retired general because he you know and f- because when MSNBC brings him on they don't say that he's on the board of war profiteering companies so I mean that to me is fair criticism I, I don't think I don't see how me criticizing that then opens me up for criticism and if people want to try to uh, criticize me for who my friends are I mean that's you know they can try that I I don't, I don't think it's very persuasive but they can try.
0: I think also, Brent, are you? Is this an argument you've heard made about Aaron Mate by others? Because oh yes, yes, like, yes, I like
8: I um, know. oh yes, uh, like people like they tr- they try to, population. yeah, yeah. So basically, I'm, a, I'm a, like, people are attacking him because they feel like he like they say like oh he claims he's a journalist, but no, he's on these different shows, offering his commentary. So he, they're saying that he's no longer in a not
0: sh- right. I think though, there's two, there's two issues. One is whether journalists can give their opinion and offer commentary versus just report the facts, which I, I think that wow. every journalist does that. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, I can
8: hear you. No.
0: OK. So there are two different questions that are getting conflated. One is the role of objectivity versus commentary. That's one issue. The other issue is guilt by association. Right. And nothing right. that any of us, that any of nothing that we do falls under the guild by association thing. So that's not really, there's no hypocrisy there. Um, right, right. So, yeah, I think that, uh, and then people, if they want to say that journalists can't express opinions, that's fine, but you're like canceling out a lot of journalists and what's more dangerous is when journalists pretend that they're being objective, but aren't, um, you know i think right. it's more honest cuz
8: aaron is very objective like cuz aaron is very like i listen to his comment, like not comment, his journalism it's very he's reporting the facts of of the other side and that's very unpopular but i feel like it's t- it's totally fair game and totally appropriate and it, uh, people in the us should know what's going on and not hear just yeah. hear the it's like you're the pro the, yeah
0: if you're reporting what like the mainstream argument is that's presented as objective It's only when it's heretical that it's as opinion based.
8: Yeah, that's my two cents. Right, right, right. And I feel like, and now I, I, I keep looking for different YouTube channels, and people are just criticizing Aaron for, like, when he goes on Jimmy Dore show, and it just happens to be someone who cites many of Aaron's same, um, like, points about Ukraine, but claim, and then, and then later on says that they're pro Russia. So basically what they're doing is they're using what Aaron's reporting on and then using that as support for, to justify the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. And people are calling out Aaron for not calling people out like Jackson Kinkle out. And I feel like, I don't know if that's Aaron's place, but I don't know if, but at the same time, I feel like, mm, well, Aaron, he, he's opening himself to that criticism. So that, that is a fair question. But at the same time, uh, people sh- but
2: you can't control what other people say. Right. So that's Yeah, exactly. Opening. I, I, mean, think, uh, I think yeah. we can move on. But Brent, thank yeah. you for the call. And, and just in general. Right, you know, thank I'm you. Not, I'm not responsible for other people's opinions. I'm responsible right, for right. Right. Yeah. right, And you're not responsible. Right. Thank you, Brent. Thank you.
0: Using your work, either. Anyway. All right. Hi, Amanda. Good
9: morning. So um, I'm going to change the subject. First, I just want to elevate what you said, Katie, by quoting Noam Chomsky. Either you repeat the same conventional doctrines everybody else is saying, or else you say something true and it will sound like it's from Neptune. So that's the first thing. And being open to criticism, I think, is something journalists have to be, actually anybody in the public eye is just going to encounter. And frankly, I would like to have journalists' opinions sometimes, especially ones that I think tend toward my worldview because, gosh, they sure know a lot because they write a lot of articles about a lot of stuff that's happening. So they're probably pretty well informed. Whether you agree with their opinion or not is a totally separate issue. So first, I just wanted to say that. Then I wanted to say... I really appreciate the fact that that you responded on the student loans thing that that people saying that it doesn't solve the root problem. I really appreciate you saying, well, is this the right standard? Because are we solving the right problem? And that's one of the things I appreciate about about both of you. Like, are they asking the right question about the right thing right here? Because if we're not asking the right question, we're not going to get an answer that helps.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of times that's how arguments are made. It's like presenting this is as just astronauts, but it's really ideologically informed, or there's a certain framing that asks, like no one says, how are we going to pay for a war? But they say, right. how are we going to pay for this? Or Right,
9: and and speaking of paying for, I mean, the, the 250 to 500 billion years, isn't that over ten, a 10-year ten period? Sure, we say Ukraine gets 40 billion this year, but we're going to make it, 10 year so we can't even compare numbers I mean are they a grocery store they don't want to have things be able to be compared and the last thing that I really want to have happen whenever these discussions come up is somebody should mention the debt collective and somebody should mention the fact that in the bible there's a thing called the debt jubilee where every 49 years people's debts are forgiven and you start over So that's just what I wanted to add. I really appreciate what you guys do in all of the shows that you do. So thank you for having me here to this morning.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Amanda. Okay. Loki.
6: Hello. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Uh, Okay. Uh, I'll be fast. Um, So... I feel like it, there's like a huge difference, difference when we put like a historical lens uh on the news especially on like current news and I just see a lot of I I see the rhetoric that makes it into the mainstream media and the, the narratives and stuff but you know I feel they're saying that more for for their sakes cuz it when when we We believe that it, it makes us behave in a certain way and then it makes them money. But if we look at, you know, the historical context of just imperialism and exploitation and all the stuff that's happened for the last few hundred years, it's not, it's, it's not a surprise, you know, what their, what their actions are. You know, the rhetoric becomes more of the surprise. So how can we how can we as citizens you know try to discern the difference between basically their their rhetoric and their actions and to protect ourselves against you know the actions that that they do that that hurt us and you know enrich them hello did you guys Hi. get that
0: yeah so can you repeat the question i want to make sure i
6: um Sure i uh, will try to tidy it up and shorten it up. How do we uh given the historical context of imperialism and just and just you know people in positions of power especially in those systems doing one thing and saying the other, and primarily what they say is a way of corralling people into the, the behavior they they or their benefactors want them to do, and so as you know, like you know, citizens, United, Patriot Act, all these, these things, things they, they all sound like they're they literally sound like they're for the people, like in the title. But in the words, they are literally antagonistic to their title. You know, so they do the opposite of what, what they say. So so um how how do we protect our minds, our brains from from like swallowing so many lies when they're coming at us, you know rapid fire these days like to make, to have a proper discernment
0: um I don't know, I mean shows like ours hopefully, or pushing back on things, or I mean it's a kind of overwhelming question
6: yeah um, it it is it was it was just it was just weighing on my mind, so I just passed it off.
2: But, yeah, uh, not off, but, uh, you know, shared it. Excuse me. All right. It's not like I'm letting it go. Yeah, look, we live in a very managed democracy uh, and it has to be managed because because from the point of view of people in power, if society was run in a democratic way, it, w- it would threaten all of them, all of their power. So to manage a democracy, you have to bombard people with propaganda to make them think the right way and also make them think that they have that we have a degree of freedom and that the the decisions that are being made from the top down are really in everybody's interest. So that's why we have propaganda. And it's difficult when you're surrounded by propaganda. And you also have a lot of freedom, which gives the illusion of uh, of free thought to navigate what's true and false. And so you have to find sources that you trust, that you think share your values and your judgment, and just try to make the best call you can within that context. But it's difficult. It's a lot easier when you live in like Soviet Russia or North Korea, where there's like a state line or, you know, or, or even Russia today where there's a state line. And, you know, people know that it's propaganda. It's false here when people repeat the state line, but they do so within a context of a lot of freedom. It's a, it's more confusing. And uh, so that's what makes it more difficult to uh, to judge, you know, fact from fiction, uh, fiction. But, you know, ever, everyone just got to ultimately, you know, use their best judgment. In their own context
6: yeah that's that's pretty pretty sound advice but but yeah, it's just really rapid fire you know in this this day of in age how fast this type of information comes but you know it seems like the the mainstream media is kind of it's dying by itself at, at least to to my eyes as as is cable in in general you know. The, the one the channels that aren't adapting and you know making a online presence and and making online products that people want to buy or subscribe to you know they're dying off but there's still like like everything else you know they're like a lot of um the the mainstream media is basically subsidied like you know like we subsidy farms but they're you know they're subsidied through um lobbying And I guess if it's through lobbying, then it's through us unwillingly. So it kind of sucks. But, yeah, I appreciate you guys. And, yeah, keep going.
0: Thank you. All right. Let's go to Sabrina.
10: Hi, Sabrina. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay, this is my first time actually calling into Collin, so it's a little weird. Oh, it's sad. Uh, yeah, it's weird being on the other side. But I wanted to talk about student loan debt for just a second because I have to tell you, I've worked in higher ed for over ten years, and I, I don't think people realize that a lot of these students that are graduating the salaries that they're being offered, they're not going to be able to pay off these student loans. And it's been a number of times where I just wanted to tell them, uh, don't go to grad school. Mm. Don't go back to school because then you're going to go further into debt. But I couldn't at the time because my job was to encourage them to go to another program. And I think people may not understand that even in, here in Boston, Massachusetts, you have students graduating from Boston College, Boston University, and these students are being offered salaries of like $45,000, $50,000 a year. And they're not going to be able to pay off this debt. And I think I think in reference to canceling student loan debt, one of the things that we need to ask, who is this actually helping at this, this place in time? Because I have seen... Um, There's this phrase that's going around where people are saying that canceling student loan debt closes the racial wealth gap. And that's actually not true. And I think a lot of people don't realize that the majority of African-Americans don't have student loan debt. Because the majority of African-Americans didn't go to college. Most African-Americans are working. And I think. When I look at the numbers, the $10,000 to the $20,000, that's actually helping out white borrowers more than it's helping out African-American borrowers. Now, because African-Americans, we have the most student loan debt, but this isn't really benefiting us the same way that it's benefiting our white peers. Hmm.
0: Uh, I mean, in terms of like percentage wise and and, uh, you mean you're saying that the uh, because it's black women, right, who have the most debt.
10: Right. So like I have student loan debt and I'm glad to have, you know, some type of cancellation. But when I if you compare it to the amount that white borrowers owe and the amount that African-American borrowers owe, this is actually going to benefit white borrowers more. And I think people don't understand that. And one thing I recommend to people, I highly recommend that you look at the research that Sandy Darity has done because he's researched this for years. And he's tried to explain to people that canceling student loan debt does not close the racial wealth gap. And so that's just something I wanted to mention. Because I think there's a lot of people saying this, like on social media, and I'm like, yeah. guys, this is not true. Like the research has already been done,
0: right? Yeah, I mean that uh, I have seen I have seen that argument made that it's going to close the racial wealth gap, um, but I guess that's. Uh, I mean, I think that a lot of people are probably still in support of it, right?
10: But but we have to look at how that still doesn't close the racial wealth gap. Yeah. I mean, like I'm in support of it, but I, I wish he would have canceled like all of it. Like, to be honest, yeah, I wish he would have canceled just all student loan debt, but I know he's not going to do that because that would actually hurt recruitment for the military industrial complex. Right. But I think yeah. that, I think, That's that, important to mention, I think yeah. yeah, but I think that it's important that we do explain to people that, Hey, this is going to help some people but people have to understand that most African-Americans are not in college. Most African-Americans do not have a degree. Most African-Americans after high school are working. So I think, and I, I say this because Nina Turner said this recently on CNN, and I just cringe because I'm like, no, that's not true. And I know that Sandy Darity has tried to correct that multiple times.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sandy, where's Sandy Darity? Are they online? I don't know this person. So I'm, where can I check this person out?
10: Sandy Darity is a professor at Duke university. Okay. Yeah. He wrote a book
0: people, yeah. So people can check this person out. Where can they
10: keep going? Yeah. He wrote a book. It's called um, I think from here to, I have to look up the title. But he wrote a book. He's a professor at Duke University, and he's done research on reparations for a long time. Um, I'd also recommend checking out of Carnell. But they've explained yeah. this. In fact, I've, I've shared the link a couple of times on Twitter, how he explains how even baby bonds and canceling student loan debt does not close the racial wealth gap. OK.
0: Thank you. And people check out Sabby's show. I just followed you, Sabby, because I'm very bad at following people on the...
10: Colin. Thanks. That's all. I just like to educate I... people. Thanks. Thanks, cool. Sabby.
2: Yeah, that point about military yeah man is one that we forgot to make today. it's right. So important is, right. and it's been openly acknowledged that, like, by people. There was an article oh, in right. Wall Street Journal. There was there was an article in the Wall Street Journal or something that was like decrying this the idea of student loan forgiveness because it will it will hurt uh, military recruitment which right. totally mm-hmm. gives away the game and overall it's just um it's so sad that people are pitted against each other because yeah of course you know everyone's got a point like people who are struggling don't like the idea of having to pay for someone else's debt you know choices that they didn't sign on to and and that and the debt that they personally avoided because they didn't want to face a lot of debt, but the point is no one should be in that, but it shouldn't be either, or, I mean, we should be able to recognize the value in education and lifting people out of crushing debt and also helping other people who who chose a different path, but that's, those choices are never offered. So it it pits people against each other. And it's just, uh, it's, it's sad because it shouldn't be that way. Thanks, Abby. All
0: right. um, V. Hi B. Oh. Hello. Ah,
11: the mute button. <laughs> it's very annoying. They, we can hear. Yeah, uh, it's like okay. Hi. Um. Hi. So I, I've just uh wanted to get to call you guys because there there were uh it was just a few hours ago there was a um political article that uh doesn't really speak highly of the gray zone which Aaron is a part of um it's about the um it, it's it's about like how um how how uh, retired am i a six boss which is richard derlove uh his brexiteer friends and a uh, celebrity <laughs> marxist All right. uh which is <laughs> not to be Confu- uh, which is very confusing because yeah whatever uh became targets in Russia's war on Ukraine um and it highlighted um like Paul Mason which I, I don't think he's a particularly like he's a particularly uh, a marxist uh, in my view but <sighs> anyway uh he um like it highlighted that um, about like how uh, Kit Clarenberg uh have been writing for, uh, about the um about the the Brexit the pro Brexit um strategy to like I I think it's like a using maximum intelligence on anti Brexit campaign group. Best uh, I don't know. It, sorry, I I, I just sort of like stumbling around. Uh, like minutes before uh, before I I call you guys, but um, I, I there there's this um like there's this uh section where it's like uh since the start of June, the Grayson has published a string of his article based on uh the uh, Clarenbark's article based on leaked emails from former Channel 4 journalist Mason and those around him. The pieces appear on intent of discrediting Mason, M- Mason suggesting he is a propaganda mouthpiece for the British secret services. Um, it, and then it's sort of like writing uh, with like how the Grey Zone is a... State uh, actor for Russia and uh, and for China and for Syria and that kind of stuff like that. And I was sort of like, I I think it was like the uh, the time where, um, that uncovered the 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 the, the like, uncovered like the leaked emails about um. About like the, we have to colluding yeah, with the intelligence uh yes. and yes. stuff like that we have to,
2: yeah, yeah i feel i'm gonna just i'm gonna just summarize i'm gonna just summarize the issue and then and, and then we're gonna go basically so yeah. this um uh the gray zone got some hacked emails from paul mason collaborating with uh his yeah. colleagues including someone who worked for the british government trying to de-platform censor the gray zone and politico mm-hmm. today has an article about that and they're saying it comes from that the emails come from russian hackers uh that's their claim i have no idea if it's true or not i personally don't care uh the point is these emails are authentic no one's challenged their authenticity uh paul mason has tried to like disingenuously disingenuously suggest that they were maybe altered but of course he can't make that accusation directly because he knows that they're not and so this political article You know, tries to basically, it's a typical thing of trying to smear us and and say that we repeat Kremlin talking points and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the point is no one wants to deal with the actual content of those emails, which are very damning, which show Paul Mason, who's a self-described journalist, was not just targeting the gray zone, but also the entire British anti-war movement. And uh, what's interesting about the political article is they, their go-to expert is this guy, his last name is Burley. I think, and he he recently called for me to be censored he, he was he pointed out that I was on Russell Brands show, and he says that YouTube should censor uh anything that I appear on and the gray zone, so, so basically. I- they're um, consulting.
11: I, I like. I like that particularly in the last part where he says it's all about creating chaos, like the Joker in the Batman film, <laughs> the Dark Knight, yeah. which, is, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is like a really ridiculous sen- uh, sentiment. Yeah. Uh, especially so to this to is just like basically. Really, I don't know why. Yeah. So, uh, why? Why did it have to? Yeah. Sorry.
2: So this is basically just uh, the playbook. It's ca- it's calls for us to be censored. And slandering us as being uh, tied to Russia somehow. I mean, this is no one ever deals with the content of what we actually say. If you you think we get things wrong, I mean, just point out what you think we got wrong and write a rebuttal. No, but that's, uh, I mean, that yeah, doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. So V, thank you for thank you very much for the call. Uh, I appreciate it. And um, and I, I'm gonna go and and actually read the article in full because I only had a chance to skim it today. But that's yeah, all that, no right. Thanks. A lot same. For the
11: same. It was just only minutes away. So, but yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I just thank you. Bring
2: it. Up. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for uh, tuning in. Uh, Usefulidiots.substack.com is where to go for more content. And, yeah, Katie, uh, do you you have anything coming up this week on the Katie Helper Show?
0: Well, we're actually going to be taping on Thursday. That's pretty exciting uh, for scheduling reasons. But, no, nothing to announce yet. But make sure you subscribe there, youtube.com slash the Katie Helper Show. And make sure that you, yeah, subscribe to our show on YouTube, um, Useful Idiots. That's YouTube.com slash Useful Idiots. Substack, as Aaron mentioned, wherever you find your podcasts. And uh, we will see you again uh, on YouTube at 10 a.m. on Monday and then here right after at 11 a.m. Thank you. Okay.